Global Crisis Bible Prophecy Health and Preparedness You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch Father in heaven, we pray for a peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray for a glimpse of Jesus and an understanding of his love for us. We pray for a sense of urgency, a sense of uh, immediacy with regard to your plan and will for us in these last days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I am Scott Ritzema for another 30 minutes together looking at the news and current events. But really, that's just a jump point. That's just a springboard into the ultimate conversation. And that is the Bible and the gospel and the everlasting message of hope of Jesus' soon coming. But as we look at these news headlines... One might be tempted to not have hope. One might be tempted to throw up their hands in despair. North Korea boasts, we can now nuke mainland USA. Pentagon urgently training cyber soldiers to rival Russia and China. Yes, this is 2016. We are in the future. The cyber soldiers are being prepared and trained for a war with Russia and China potentially in the near future. August, most violent month in Chicago in more than 20 years. Baltimore hits 200 homicides with man's fatal stabbing. Knife man shouts Allahu Akbar as he attacks couple at German music festival. So if you were ever in any doubt that the world is becoming worse and degrading and humankind without the uplifting and redeeming value of Jesus Christ is going down the tubes really quickly. And it's sad to see But, you know, there's a a silver lining in all of this cloud of despair and evil that is enshrouding the world. And that is, as the wicked and impenitent become more and more violent and vengeful and lacking of anything pure and holy, this is a sign, an indicator, that God will soon interpose and intervene. When Jesus comes again, All the works of this earth will be destroyed and the the elements will melt with fervent heat and this earth will be laid bare. You've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. You've heard about the world being destroyed with a flood. Well, that was absolutely a wicked time. But Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And just as it was in the days of Lot, the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in the world back then? Absolute violence and mayhem and bloodshed at the time of Noah and the flood. It says men's thoughts were only evil continually, and the earth was filled with violence. This is today. We're we're, we're repeating history. We're reliving this, and we're combining a little Sodom and Gomorrah in the midst of it. Where will this all end? Well, for every single one of us who heeds the voice of God in the Word, in the Bible, those of us who accept the offer, the invitation, the free gift of life from Jesus Christ. This will all end with escaping this madness and insanity, and we will be in the heavenly kingdom. And every person 
within the sound of my voice, can receive that gospel invitation. Jesus died on the cross that we might be saved. It's a free gift. He took our place in death. The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners, right? Every single one of us. And we know that we can have the hope of being taken up to be with him when he comes again. Jesus said, I'm I'm going back up to my father's house. And there's many mansions there. There's many rooms. There's many places for you. And I'm coming back to take you to be with me. There's the hope. So what do you do with all this, these headlines of all of the wars and rumors of wars and violence and bloodshed? And you know, one thing I thought was a really good thing to do when you hear about terrible things or maybe personal bad things in your life, tragedy hits, relationships are broken, when stress or fear or temptation rises, go outside. Read your Bible. Have a meaningful conversation with somebody in person. I recommend gardening. I found this story to be helpful. UK Telegraph reports. Senior citizens who spend just half an hour a day gardening or fishing or walking can reduce their risk of a fatal heart attack by more than half, a major study has found. Did you catch that? Just going outside for a half an hour a day, if you're a senior citizen, can cut your risk of heart attack in half. Just garden for a half an hour. Go for a half an hour walk a day. I like to do both of those. It's peach season here in Michigan. We are harvesting more peaches than we know what to do with, and I'm just loving it. There's so much joy and produce from the earth. Well, let's talk about economics, because... It is important to take a look at these signs and the continuing unfolding crises of the globe so that we can understand the urgency of the times in which we live. I'd love to just be outside and gardening. And, you know, Jesus said, watch and pray. I enjoy the pray part more. I enjoy walking in nature. I enjoy spending time with my family. But then at the same time, we're supposed to watch. We're supposed to look. What what Jesus said is, Watch for these signs of the times. And when you see them, that you know that the time is near. And you can lift up your heads, for your your redemption draweth nigh. On the economic level, we saw in 2008-2009 the biggest economic crisis since the Great Depression. After that, the powers that be in Washington, the, the federal government, the Federal Reserve, the central bank in the United States and globally basically followed this same program record-breaking, unprecedented, historic levels of stimulus into the economy. Lower interest rates down to zero, or in other countries, they're negative interest rates now. In an effort to try to get borrowing and spending going, get that economy revved up again. Federal debts, deficits run each year to try to inject more spending into the economy directly, government spending. And the hope here is to try to stimulate economic growth to get, pe- get, to get the economy out, out of the doldrums, out of the Great Recession. And what happened? Let's do a little history here, and then we'll see where we stand today. What we've witnessed in the last seven or eight years is, is, is factually seen, when you look at the data, as the most lackluster, weak economic recovery in U.S. history. Normally, when you bounce back from a recession... You, you, there's, it's kind of some some pent up, built up, you know, investment and spending ready to take place. Not so this time. Alongside unprecedented levels of 
efforts to stimulate the economy, it was still the most lackluster economic recovery in history. In fact, we went a decade without a single year of 3% gross domestic product growth. Now, that would be a, a decent year of normal economy humming along at 3%. That's what's expected. We went a whole decade without a single year of that. That was the first time in history. Even this, this didn't even happen at the Great Depression. So how are things now? Well, the first half of 2016, the official statistics are in, and the economy grew in the first half of 2016 at half of a percent. It grew, grew half of a percent. So that would need to have a, a pace of six times that in order to get up to 3%. But that was the first half of the year. So that's an annual rate of 1% per year. So you'd have to have a threefold increase in the rate of economic growth in order to get back to that 3%. But first half of 2016, a 1% annualized growth rate. But as I was digging into this and thinking about this a little bit more, going hearkening back to my economics teaching days in high school teaching, I was thinking about the fact that population growth is typically about 1%. So in order to keep up with population growth, a 1% GDP growth would mean flat, would mean zero growth. This would mean we're, we're dipping into recession territory. So this is 1%, by the way, when you dig into the numbers, what was driving the 1%? It was consumer spending. Then when you compare consumer spending with wage and salary growth, well, there isn't wage and salary growth happening, so, but there's 1% increase in spending this, this year. What is that driven by then? Well, credit cards, people dipping into their savings. Basically, we are in unofficially a recession already. Reuters just reported that the economy is, quote, in danger of stalling. When, when you account for population growth, we're already at zero growth, and it's dipping into debt and, and savings levels in order to sustain even that 1%. Here's a quote from the article. The economy has struggled to regain momentum since output started slowing in the last six months of 2015. Now, I have to mention again, this is the kind of thing that is predictable on, on an economic law analysis level. It was early in 2016, May of 2016, and on into June of 2016 that you were hearing the alarm bells being rang all over the place saying, watch out, watch out, significant economic events are coming. And that took place. The, the second half of 2015 economic slowdown, first half of 2016, basically, the, you won't hear this on the mainstream media, but we are in recession territory. Now, the amazing thing of this is that this is all in the context of near zero interest rates, so interest rates at record levels, record low levels, unprecedented borrowing and spending on the part of government, federal government deficits. And then this headline really struck me, Reuters Global central bankers stuck at zero. In other words, central banks are holding interest rates at zero, but, but, but nothing's happening. There's no global economic growth happening. I mean, the United States is actually doing well compared to other countries right now. And so global central bankers stuck at zero unite in plea for help from governments. 
So the governments, please add some fiscal stimulus to the to our monetary stimulus, which they've already been doing. Actually, if you look at the last sixteen years or so in in, in U.S. history, the Bush presidency, when you look at na- the national debt, it jumped five trillion over that eight years. So you look at two, the year two thousand to right now, from from two thousand to two thousand eight, it was a five trillion dollar increase in the national debt. So the government is borrowing and spending. And that spending is going out into the economy and we're enjoying tomorrow's prosperity right now, basically. And then under the Obama presidency, almost another $10 trillion added to that. So it was $5 trillion at the turn of the millennium. Now it's heading toward just about $20 trillion national debt. So we've had huge fiscal stimulus. That means by you know taxing and spending policies, fiscal stimulus is deficit spending where the government is trying their best to stimulate the economy. The Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, just reported this week that they're anticipating a $28 trillion national debt over the next decade if nothing has changed. So you get the Atlanta Fed president. He came out and said, he said, central banking is in a brave new world. It's like, we have no idea what we're doing. You might remember that statement from Rothschild last week that I reported on where he said, we're in uncharted waters. Who knows what the unintended consequences of this are going to be? I mean, the Fed right now has $4.5 trillion on its books of, 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 of quantitative easing. And they're saying this may just be the new normal. We might not actually sell those back. We're just going to hold them and keep stimulating at this level. What will happen next? You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults... These parents were almost always theologically conservative, meaning they actually believe the Bible is true, and they spent time studying their Bibles. Makes sense, right? If we don't love the scriptures, why would our children love the Bible? Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, Parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch And the website is 11thHourDispatch.com and before the break, we were looking at all of this economic data and the, the, the concern globally with central banks and other economic analysts who are saying, where is this going next? I mean, they're doing everything they can to hold this thing together and not raise interest rates and try to stimulate, and it's not even working. It's like they're running out of 
tools in their tool bag. They're experimenting with negative interest rates and all of this. And the reason to share all of this is as we look at last day events and we look at Bible prophecy, in the very last days you head into territory that is un, that's completely uncharted, global crises of, of magnitudes that we've never seen before. The Bible calls it a time of trouble since there never was, since there was a nation. And that will happen at the very, very end. But even prior to that, as the birth pangs of the last day events continue to intensify, you're going to see calls for totalitarian measures to restrict religious liberty, to regulate buying and selling at at levels never seen before. This is all prophesied in the Bible. So this will take place in a context not of prosperity, but in a context of global crisis, economic crisis, geopolitical, wars and rumors of wars, everything. You name it, the world's going to be going through the, the travailing of birth pangs, if you will. But we, as the people of God, we can, we can chart a different territory emotionally, spiritually, in our hearts. While the, while the whole world, men's hearts fail them for fear of what is coming upon the world, we can lift up our heads for our redemption draweth now nigh. We can go out and, go and do some gardening. We can go for a walk and have peace that transcends all understanding because, because we know Jesus Christ. We know he's coming again. And that's the great hope. The blessed hope. And how about this one? iNews reports social isolation is as bad for your health as smoking. They look at this chemical, this hormone, fibrinogen, which is a predictor of heart attack and stroke in your blood. Basically, being socially isolated raises fibrinogen levels in the body the same as that of being a smoker. So here's another antidote to the crazy time in which we live where everybody retreats into their own tech world, virtual world, where they, where they are spectators on what transpires before our eyes in entertainment and in other people's lives, instead of entering into that counterfeit reality of constant social networking and the video game addictions and all of these things, get connected with people, with real people. Get, get involved with church. Get connected with your family. Social isolation, as bad for your health as smoking. Amazing finding there. How about this one from CBS Boston? New concerns arise about the mental health of college students on campuses across the country. Dr. Jean Barrison, a psychiatrist and executive director of the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at Massachusetts General Hospital, says, get this, 50 to 60 percent of college students have a psychiatric disorder. Let's, Let's hear him out. He says, what I'm including in that is The use of substances, anxiety, depression, problems with relationships, breakups, academic problems, learning disabilities, attention problems. If you add them all up, 50% doesn't seem that high. Now, two different reactions to this come to mind. First of all, it really is sad and tragic. There, there There are so many emotional problems in, in people's lives and, and people are really, really struggling. We need to offer the hope of the gospel, complete healing and restoration in Jesus Christ. It can bring everything that you need, fullness of life. Jesus called it the abundant life, life to the full. But on the other hand, 
one thing that concerns me when I see reports like this is when everything in life becomes a potential defined psychiatric disorder, then we're in the realm of excessive prescribing of psychotropic and other mind-altering prescriptions, drugs. And so this is a psychiatrist putting this out. You know, all of a sudden, if, if half the population has a mental disorder, well, this can be big business, right, for, for the uh, drug companies. God doesn't want us to be long-term, ultimately reliant on these types of things. There's a, there's a place, there's a role for conventional medicine, of course. But when, when I hear that 50 to 60%, well, are they going to put all these people on, on prescriptions? I hope not. That would be an excessive number of people, although we've looked at the statistics before about the enormous quantity, especially of women who are on antidepressants and others. And this is not a, an, an assessment, a judgment on somebody if they're taking these things. It, it, you know, This is not something God is condemning us for. We ultimately want to find longer-term solutions. We want to find complete hope and, and help and healing and restoration. God said that in Romans 12 verse 2 that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's what I hope we can find in this world of anxiety and depression and substance abuse and relationship issues and academic stresses and problems and all of these things and, and what they call learning disabilities. You know, a lot of the time, learning disabilities are just a round peg being tried to, to try to being the effort is to shove it into a, a square hole, a round peg in a square hole, or vice versa. I was looking at this this uh, study that I found funny. Music school cranks out geniuses. This this article goes on to explain that students in music schools who spend a lot of time practicing and performing and playing music, and much less time working on math problems and drilling and practicing and studying math. The musician, the musical kids, do way better in math than those who spend all their time on math. So they might otherwise be said be be called somebody with a learning disability because they they want to play their instrument a lot and they they struggle in in a in a normal academic setting. As a teacher, that was something that really, when I look at the one size fits all way that education is done in this country, it does a disservice to so many children. Because every person is unique, and not everything needs to be standardized. Everybody has unique interests and abilities, unique passions and giftedness. And you become interested in something for a while, and you explore that. And you know, part of what it means to be human is really stripped away from children in school when everything is so regimented. And then we label people with learning disabilities, and all of a sudden everybody's on psychotropic medication. But here's, a, here's an encouraging news article that music school cranks out geniuses and it goes on to show how students in the uh the school where they they play more music actually do better at math than than those who are studying math a lot and speaking of breaking the mold a bit i really liked this one from wall street journal they published an article about teens who completely abstain from social networking and that's not to say that Everybody has to do that even. I mean, you can find a balanced relationship with keeping up with people on Facebook or whatever. But they estimate that about 5% of teens are opting out completely from social networking. It's a small number, but it's an encouragement to see that there are some. The article says, to these teens who opt out, the relentless pursuit of likes, that's when somebody likes your post or your picture, 
that that relentless pursuit of likes looks exhausting. Quote, I think it takes too much time and kids get too absorbed, said Annie Furman, age 19, who grew up in the Dallas area and is about to start college in Iowa. I'd rather see my friends in person than tweet at them. I don't want to spend all my time on my phone. I want to spend it in the real world. Oh boy, a young lady after my own heart there. The children themselves don't often feel that they are missing out, the article says. Even though, quote, almost 100% of his friends are on social media, Brian O'Neill says that he can't recall a time when something important happened in his social circle that he didn't hear about. They let me know if something's going on, he said. And Ms. Furman's experience is similar. Sometimes I wouldn't understand a specific joke everyone was telling, but 90% of the time, it's not really worth it. It's just a joke, meaning social networking. Parents are so afraid of having their kids feel left out, said Marnie Kenny of Washington, D.C., whose 14-year-old daughter, Raya, has opted out of social media. They, parents project that fear onto their kids. Isn't that something? So it's really the parents that are insecure. We don't want to have our kids out of the loop, missing out, socially marginalized. So, quote, social media is just gossip, she says. A lot of it. And she thinks her daughter is better off without it. I couldn't agree more there. And as you get older, you know, finding a responsible use of technology in the virtual world and allowing it to enhance real-life relationships rather than replace them is, uh, is a good goal. But for some, opting out altogether, the best choice. Now, this really was an eye-opener. You've heard about the concerns about Hillary Clinton's health. We live in an age of censorship. We live in an age of controlled information and, and media manipulation of information. Paul Joseph Watson reports, Huffington Post bans journalists for writing about Hillary Clinton's health and then deletes the article. Yes, you heard that right. And then this one, top, joc- top doctor and Reuters University professor of medicine, Bob Lahita, says that concerns over Hillary's, Hillary Clinton's health are not a conspiracy theory. And that Clinton should be assessed by an impartial panel of physicians. This is top doctor and Rutgers University professor of medicine, Bob Lahita. Now, he's not the only doctor out there saying this. Lahita told Fox Business that he agreed with Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew, America's most trusted physician, as they call him, who came out and said, there are concerns here. This is very real. This is not something that is a conspiracy theory. And so he said that he's, he's gravely concerned. And he says the fact that this hasn't been addressed is, quote, bizarre. This is a very unusual story with Hillary, said Lahita, making reference to her suffering two blood clots, a stroke, and post-concussive syndrome, which caused Hillary to have to wear special prism glasses to counter her double vision. He said the very fact that she's having three cl- these clots and she's had two bouts of thrombosis is disconcerting, to say the least, said Lahita. Asked whether the concerns over Hillary Clinton's health were objectively authentic, regardless of politics, or whether they were a conspiracy theory. He said, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. You go back to the history of our presidents, and we've had many presidents up until Lyndon Johnson who've concealed their health during their campaigns. And it had dire effects for our country, going from Kennedy to Roosevelt to Woodrow Wilson, whose wife ran the the White House for some time. So we have issues here, he said, and I think both candidates should be very forthcoming and perhaps have an impartial panel of physicians. He went on and said, "This this is a... This is a concern that that ought not be swept under the rug. But 
The main story here to me is not the health of the candidates. It is, is truly amazing. This is instructive. This is, an, this is an illustration, an example of how controlled the information is coming through the mainstream media. And so I hope that we don't derive our version of reality from what's presented on the news. I hope we do some digging for ourselves, think for ourselves, and most importantly, seek Jesus with all our hearts. We'll see you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. If it's not Facebook, texting, spectator sports, I don't know what it might be, but if you're not sensing the presence of the Lord in your life in a deep and intimate way, ask yourself, when I do this activity, when I do this particular recreation, form of diversion, whatever, do I rarely, if ever, think of God? Because if that's the case, I need, to, I need to rethink what it is I'm spending my time on. Is it diverting me? Do I become forgetful of the mission when I'm engaged in this activity? Or is it true recreation? Would prayer seem out of place in this activity? This is one of those moral questions. Or can I imagine Jesus participating? It's convicting. Are Satan's principles of pride, self-promotion, violence, or immorality present in this form of recreation, whatever it may be, this form of diversion, this thing that I need to evaluate in my life? Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.